1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. It's 835 and so glad that you are joining us on this special edition of Mornings with Tom and Michael Rydell, because Tavi has the morning off and so excited to just get into some of these questions with you. First of all, Michael, we missed you last week. Apparently you were speaking all over the world and and uh, weren't able to be with us. Uh, how did that go? That was great. I, I spoke at my congregation that I planted 40 years ago. Oh, really? Uh, in New York, uh, Long Island, New York. And... Uh, had a great time there and it was i was amazed actually there are people from the congregation that i served for 10 years uh still there oh, which you neat. know there's huge turnover over years but uh in fact uh one of the elders was an elder when i was there okay so that's kind of cool uh 40 years later to go back well it's been 30 years since i was there 31 years okay so. But uh, yeah, so yeah. you you started forty years ago, served for ten, so it's been thirty years uh, since you've been back. Yeah, and then uh, uh, of course I've been back before. Sure, you know, but I haven't been back for a good ten years. So okay, I was glad to be there. All right, and and I'm just going to go backstage a little bit with you because we're getting an opportunity to see you as we're doing this, and you were taking a sip of coffee from a mug that uh, is is probably something that I would like to get a copy of. It, it basically <laughs> says the word whining with a big international symbol for no. So apparently, no whining uh, being a part. Whining of- prohibited. When I uh, when I was going to become a professor 31 years ago, uh, as I was leaving, Eva bought me this as a present to use at school because uh, she knows what students are like. Ah. And so uh, I, I used it for many years at Moody with our students. I also had a big badge that had the same symbol, whining with the big red circle with the line across it. Uh, I had that up in my office. Uh, I almost thought about putting some sandpaper in my Kleenex box, but I didn't. <laughs> His name is Michael Rydelnik, and he is ready to answer your questions here on this edition of Open Line Chat. And you can get that question in to us, text it to us at 423-629-8900. And Michael, I'd like to start with a question from our friend Josh from Ringgold, who says, what will happen to or purpose of Holy Spirit after God has made everything new in New Jerusalem? I suspect that he will still, his purpose is to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus. That's his, he's the shy member of the Trinity. Uh, He doesn't draw attention to himself. He points everyone to the Lord Jesus. 
Now, it doesn't say explicitly what he will do, but I suspect that he will continue with that purpose. That's that's just my guess. Uh, I'm finding the verse here. It says, uh, when the counselor comes, that's the parakletos, the, uh, the encourager, the comforter, different translations. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. This is John 6, 15, 26. When the, when the comforter comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And so his purpose is to testify of the Lord Jesus. I don't think that will change. Okay. And so uh, I don't know how, I don't know what, uh, but that's what he will continue to do. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that, because, again, it just seems like, well, we don't need to point people to Jesus because he's like the center of everything. But he will continue to glorify the name of the Son uh, for eternity. Yep. Yeah, that's it. You know, I, you know the, the thing is, people say, what's it going to be like in the new heavens of New York? What, what's going to be in the new creation? What will it be like? What will we do? It says, it's very limited. It says that his servants will serve him. That's us. Mm-hmm. So we will work. It's not like we're sitting around on clouds with a with a harp, you know, floating there. In, in uh, you know, we'll be embodied. We will have our resurrection bodies for eternal eternity. We'll be in a new creation, a material world that's been created, and we'll serve God. I think that it's going to be so beyond our grasp that it is so beyond our grasp that God gave us limited pictures of what it would be like. And so when people imagine eternity, they often have a lot of conjecture without a lot of reality. And Michael Paul from Chattanooga asks this question. He said, it's with all the removal of Christianity from the open market idea in the name of being neutral. Do you feel that the atheist religion is is not being forced upon others? Isn't that what's essentially happening? Uh, Well, I think we're in a post-Christian era. Uh, There are people who think that, uh, for example, if you study science, it's atheism. I believe the best scientists are people who believe the Bible and are followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think often what's being promoted is naturalism, not science. Mm. And, wow. and uh, uh, th- that's, a, that's a difference. Uh, so I think in some respects, our schools are promoting naturalism. However, uh, I do believe we still are free in our country and in many countries around the world, particularly in the West, to present the gospel, to promote the faith. I think this gives us a better opportunity in the marketplace of ideas. And I think we should see this as our opportunity rather than uh, a, a sad opportunity, sad situation. I, I, I think that we're headed for, now, I have no basis for saying this, but I believe we're headed for a revival. Because what happens is that because people have, are adopting the no religion, you know, the nuns, so mm-hmm. to speak, uh, what's happening is people are finding the, their lives to be empty, uh, meaningless, purposeless, and uh, they're going to seek for truth. And we're going to have it if we're bold and tactful and principled in how we present the good news. And there's going to be an explosion, just like there was in the 60s with the Jesus movement. 
Boy, we definitely need that, this hunger and thirst for the Lord Jesus Christ to see that breakout and revival. Uh, we got to be on our knees to make sure that that happens and, and be bold for our faith to not be silent, to even though there are edicts that say you need to not say this, sometimes it's time to stand and say. In, in our country, if there's an edict not to say something, what we need to do is fight that. Yeah. Uh, the great uh, pro bono legal defense funds that are doing their best to get the faith that the freedom to assure our freedom of religion absolutely which, uh which so i don't think we should be afraid i would agree with you his name's dr michael right down like michael we've got another question that just came in it, it's a question focused on genesis 22 when isaac is set to be the sacrifice is a section of scripture that's used uh, it, according to them against god's character and when people bring this up how do you respond it's used against his character because they say, how could God ask for a human sacrifice? Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he was not testing. He was testing Abraham's obedience. Uh, I think it's interesting that when, when Abraham got up early and on the third day, he said in verse five, Abraham said to the young men who brought them there, stay there with the donkey the boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Mm -hmm. So there was the full expectation of Abraham, since he knew that God's promise was clear, that even if he sacrificed the boy, God would raise him from the dead. And so Abraham didn't believe God would take the, the life of that child forever. I don't think we should either. Uh, but moreover, God stopped him and provided a substitute sacrifice so that Abraham did not have to carry out the sacrifice. That's what he does for us. You know, we should die. The soul that sins, it will die. But what God, that means eternal death. Mm -hmm. But what God did is he provided an alternate sacrifice, the Lord Jesus, the true sacrifice. And if we believe we, that he died for us and rose again, we don't have to die either eternally. So God provides us a lamb for us as well. Yeah, what a beautiful foreshadowing of what Jesus has provided for us for all eternity. But still, um, as you're taking a look at that for the first time, he says, how could a good God, and they just fill in the blank with whatever yeah. question that you have. But I'm hoping that questions like that drive people to God's character so they get to know who he is and what he's provided for us. Yeah, and also to read the whole passage. He doesn't require it of him. <laughs> he stops him. Mm -hmm. You know, so... There was never uh, any plan for Isaac to be sacrificed. So his name is Dr. Michael Rydelnik. If you got a question for Michael, you can text it in to us at 423-629-8900. And, and Michael, I've got a question. Uh, it's kind of coming out of uh, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, and how there are the pillars that uh, that is it's being kind of setting everything up, right? It's the, the, the new city. And then with that, there are the names of the 12 disciples that are on those pillars. And I'm wondering, there's 12 disciples, one of which was Judas. Does that mean Judas's name is actually going to be on one of those? Or is it like the person that replaced him? Or is it Paul? What are the 12? It's uh, Judas was uh, the son of perdition. So it won't be him. Okay. Okay. Uh, the... The alternative is either Paul or Mattathias, who's selected in the book of Acts. Seems to me that the best answer is that Mattathias. You know, in Matthew 19, 28, it says that the 12 apostles will rule the 12 
tribes. Mm -hmm. That's why Mattathias was selected to replace Judas as one of the apostles to the 12 tribes. And so uh, they're apostles of Israel. And so Mattathias is the 12th. That's why they're going to be on the pillars of the new Jerusalem. Okay. And then what happens is the, uh, the church uh, appoints Paul and he, be he sees the Lord on the road to Damascus. He's a full apostle, but he's as one untimely born. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's not going to be one of those 12 apostles to Israel. Okay, well, thank you so much for that, because I was truly trying to figure out who would replace, because I didn't think Judas would be on there, but it's like, there's the 12, and there's two that are considered, you know, and, and so Mattathias. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you so much for that. And Michael, we have one other question that popped in in our remaining time that we have with you, and it's from our friend Rosalind, who says, when Jacob reunites with Esau in Genesis 33, it's almost verbatim to the prodigal son reuniting with the father in Luke 15. So is it possible that Jesus was intentionally pulling from Jacob and Esau's reunion when telling that parable? And if so, could he be tying that in? Uh, I'll put it this way. Maybe. Okay. I have no idea. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, and I, I'm i not sure I see. Uh, it's, I think it, she's referring to Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and they wept. Uh, okay, that and part. But that'd be like saying that if I described when I see my grandkids after, you know, uh, when, when we've been away and we come and see them and I hug them and kiss them. And sometimes my wife will weep a little. She's so happy to see them, even if maybe two weeks, right? Uh, that's just the nature of greetings after being apart. Okay. And so I'm not sure it's a deliberate allusion to Genesis 33, or perhaps it's just a perfect description of what reunions are like. Okay. And as we take a look at the um, the story of the prodigal son, uh, just uh, first few times I, I heard that story, I was all about the son because that was where I was, you know, in my life, walking around the world, just but getting the grace and forgiveness that's mine from the father. But now I seem to be a little bit more drawn to the older brother who's kind of grumpy and just like, why in the world is he getting this? And, and I've been faithful to you. So I see that tension between these two streams of thought and love and grace that the father bestows on both children. Yeah, I think it's so interesting is that most people think the story is about the prodigal son. It's not. It, the story is about the older brother. If you look at the context is people criticizing the Lord Jesus for accepting sinners, religious people. And so he tells three stories of lost and found. Uh, the lost coin, right? Mm -hmm. uh, lost sheep. And the lost sheep. And now the lost son. And then the older brother is the climax of the three stories where he's resentful, just like the context of religious leadership being resentful of, of people repenting. And so... It just seems to me that he's the point. If if we're really sticking with why did the Lord Jesus tell this story, it's to speak to those of us who might be considered a little bit more religious and resentful of those who are penitent. Mm. 
His name is Dr. Michael Rydelnik, and that's one of many reasons that he joins us on Open Line Chat each and every Monday. And you can hear him every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon for Open Line here on 88.9 Moody Radio. Michael, always good to have you with us on Mornings with Tom and Toby. 